And here I am talking to this audience. I can't see them, but 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 this is what I'm meant to do, to inspire others to be their, their best selves. And here I am in this storm in Antarctica, you know, the most remote place on earth, the, the coldest place on earth. And I have to be my best self to get through this. Episode 266, Tom Fabry talks about climbing the Seven Summits and Mount Vincent. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey friends, before the main show today, Travis and I are both on the horn here and we have uh, what I'm going to call the state of the show update. We wanted to share some updates about how things are going with the show and we have a special announcement at the end. So, hey Travis, how's it going, man? Good, Kurt. How you doing? Doing good. So we have had a lot of growth since the holidays, which has been really encouraging for us. And I just wanted to say thanks to all of our listeners out there. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for help helping to get the word out. It's been a lot of fun to see all of the growth and the the fresh interest in the show. We want to keep that momentum going. And uh, so I just wanted to make sure I could tell everyone thank you for that. And we also have our new member site, which we've been talking about, but I want Travis to share a little bit about that one. Yeah, so as you guys have heard, um, we are in the process of building out this new member deal site, uh, members.adventuresportspodcast.com. And... As we've said, this is a site that gives you guys uh, some discounts on adventure-related vendors, you know, all kinds of products and trips and guides, uh, foods, snacks, that kind of thing. Um, but what this site really is, is is our way to build something where you guys can help support the show um, and throw a little in our direction, but still get something back. So as we've said in the past, I mean, a lot of shows will... Uh, set up a Patreon account for you and you can donate via Patreon and you may or may not get something back. If you get something back, it's usually uh, pretty, pretty little stickers or something like that. We wanted to build something a little bit more exciting and enticing for you guys. So please do us a big favor. Go check out uh, members.adventuresportspodcast.com and consider uh, becoming a member. It's four ninety five a month. It's a minimal investment. You're helping support the show, but you can also dig in there and get uh, great deals from vendors that are already on there. And we're also working to get more and more vendors as we go. Oh yeah. And don't forget that if you buy a full annual membership, then we're going to give you a free 180 stove just to say thanks. In addition to all the other discounts. So uh, the stove itself pretty much costs as much as the annual membership. So, you know, essentially you're getting a free stove, getting a free membership, either way you want to look at it. And I wanted to point out, Travis, you know, we're we're trying to be really open with all of our friends out in the, the listeners that we have out there. Travis and I both work full-time. The, the Adventure Sports Podcast is a business venture for us, and we love the way that it's growing and developing, and we have had so much fun doing this show. But the bottom line is, um, it's a lot of work that we are doing, and Frankly, to be really candid with you, we need your support to keep the show going because with the amount of work that it takes, uh, especially when we also have full-time jobs, then uh, I guess you know that's why we put together the member site. We really do need your help. And I also wanted to point out, uh, we have some new advertisers coming in. We're really excited about that. It's a ton of fun to be able to share what we hope will be really useful and cool companies with you, the listeners. And I have a special request. You know, if you hear an advertiser on the Adventure Sports Podcast, let's say, you know, you're you're thinking about buying some climbing gear or maybe some backcountry skis or something, you know, go to bentgate.com and shop there because you heard about them through our show. And then make sure that you let them know that you did hear about them from the Adventure Sports Podcast because that makes a world of difference for us. It it lets the advertisers know that the money that they're spending to be on our show is well spent. And that's just a beautiful thing all the way around for us. So we thank you in advance for doing that. Also, Travis, how can people become one of the companies offering a discount on our member site? 
Yeah, if you guys have a company or you're a guide, you have some products and you'd be interested to uh, become a vendor on our member site, just contact us. You can send us an email at info adventuresportspodcast.com. You can go on to our site, adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button. Many ways you guys can get a hold of us. Just let us know and we'll get that set up uh, for you. It's free for you. Obviously, uh, the system is set up so that you guys provide a discount to our awesome listeners and uh, we'll get you set up. We build the page for you and everything. So just let us know. And I wanted to point out, you know, when you guys go visit the uh, vendors, um, let them know that that you are there because of us. If you heard of them, heard about them because of us, whether it's an advertiser or a vendor on the site. And don't be afraid to give them a shout out on social media. Um, these guys always uh, like to hear from you guys and get a little validation to know that uh, their message is being heard. Yeah. And, you know, we have many thousands and thousands of listeners now, and I want to say thank you especially to each one of you. I wish I knew each of you by name, but we would love to know you better. You can always contact us through our site, adventuresportspodcast.com. There's a contact us button there. We can email us. You can also leave comments, you know, on each episode on our website. And that also is encouraging because it, it lets us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And if you have some guests that you'd like to hear on the show, always, we're open to that. So just click on the contact us button, let us know who that guest may be. And that makes it easier for you to get to hear the content you're looking for, makes it easier for us to find people to have on the show. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it helps steer the the direction of the show. This show's for you guys, and uh, we want you guys to enjoy it. So, if you want to hear a little bit about more, uh, you know, more about a certain adventure sport or a certain locale, then absolutely let us know. We listen to you guys, and we uh, we try to go out there and find people to uh, to give you guys great stories. So, Kurt, we have some changes coming up. Yeah, so we have a special announcement. You know, after oh, good grief, how many shows is it now, Travis? Two hundred sixty four. 265 today, I think. 265 episodes. We've been doing this a little more than two years, and it has been just a ton of fun. But like I mentioned before, Travis and I, we still have full-time jobs, and we're trying to find a way to make this a little bit more efficient for us. So we've decided to change up the division of labor for the show. We're going to try this for a little while. We've both been recording, editing, and producing our own episodes so far, and you know, it's a lot of work and it's been spreading us pretty thin. So Travis had this idea actually, and I'm going to let him tell you what that organization is going to be. Yep. So what we're going to do is we're each going to wear a little bit different hat and this is going to make things a little bit more efficient, but you're going to start hearing Kurt on both interviews each week. So he's going to be the man on the mic uh, doing the interviews. And I am going to move behind the scenes to some extent and do the uh, production of the shows. Um, I do a lot to help Kurt get new guests on the show, um, working on the websites and everything in the background. Um, it's just, we figured out that we probably need to, uh, have this division of labor to make things a little bit uh, smoother and more efficient because we want to keep bringing you guys two shows every week. I think that's a, I think that's a sweet spot to be honest with you. Uh, I think you guys are probably keeping up with them, which is great. So we want to keep that two shows going every week. So you'll hear Kurt on the microphone and I will be on from time to time. You'll hear my voice announcing shows and running ads and Kurt and I kind of dialoguing back and forth on certain things. So I'm not going away. I'm just kind of behind the scenes and still around. Yeah. So all of you Travis fans out there, and I know there are some, uh, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me for a while, but just know that Travis is still around. He's still an integral part of the Adventure Sports Podcast, and uh, you'll hear him from time to time. But Hope that that's not too shocking of an announcement for everybody, but I think it'll really help Travis and I to manage the work that's required to keep this show going strong and probably give us more schedule flexibility and, and hopefully take a little less time away from our families. We both have families that we love, and we love doing these sports with our own families. So uh, we're hoping that this will make that work a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Change is good. So we hope you guys are good with that change. And as always, you know, you're welcome to give us feedback on anything we do. We always like to hear from you guys. We can't say it enough and you can't contact us enough. So please do so. Cool. Well, Travis, that's all I had today. Do you have anything else? No, I think I'm good. Why don't we get on with the show? Hello. 
Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Boy, do I have an amazing guest for you today. Tom Fabry is joining us today, and this is a guy that just lives adventure. He is an airline pilot. He is a helicopter pilot. He does all sorts of adventure travel, but he's also doing the Adventure Grand Slam, which means getting to the top of all seven of the highest summits on each of the seven continents, as well as skiing to the North and the South Pole. He's here today not only to talk to us about that, but to share more about his life and and how it was transformed. So, Tom, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And and I mean that sincerely. It really I have goosebumps already. <laughs> I, do. I do. This is great stuff. I mean, it's just incredible. So I'm honored. Let's 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 roll. Well, Tom, right now home base you said was Long Island. And yes. that's at Port Jefferson. Sounds like a, a wonderful place to call home. It's it's fabulous. You know, I moved to Long Island in nineteen ninety one. $30 in my pocket, and I got my first flying job as a helicopter flight instructor, and I found out that Long Island, New York, is just this beautiful place with great beaches. You have the East End with the, I don't know if you know, the Hamptons, where all the rich and famous kind of hang out, and then on the West west End of the island, you have Manhattan with all the culture and restaurants and it's just uh, to me, it's sort of like the the mecca of the of the universe. And here I am. I'm like amazed. You know, I'm thirty dollars in my pocket, and I have a job that I just that I love to do. I, I had worked so hard to to become a pilot because I knew it was a better path and a better life for myself. And once I got there, doors started opening, and it's just been an amazing ride for me. So I love it. Uh, it sounds there. sounds really cool. I always ask people to start out by sharing their backstory, and you shared just a little bit of that with me before we started here. It's fascinating. So tell us, um, how did you get into adventure, and how did you get into flying? Okay. Well, it was really um, – I equate flying with adventure, okay? So um, um, my – Teenage years were very difficult for me, later teens, okay, from 16 and then uh, early 20s, um, just hanging out with the wrong crowd, so to speak, um, drinking, drugs, uh, gang fights, uh, in and out of jail. Um, quick story, my father had to come and bail me out one Sunday morning. Uh, I was arrested for a DWI or DUI, whatever you want to call it, uh, drinking and driving. And this wasn't the first time that he had to bail me out. And um, when he bailed me out, we're driving home. He's driving me home. And he's of Italian descent, a man of very few words, you know. And he said to me, he's like, when is this all going to stop? And I didn't say anything. And then he said it to me again. He's like, when is this all going to stop? And I said, I don't know. And I didn't know, you know, because I, I had no direction. I, I had no guidance. I was hanging out, obviously, with the, with the wrong crowd. And um, after a few years, more of the same, same stuff, um, I was working at an airport cleaning jets, cleaning helicopters, washing them, fueling them that type of thing. And I was just kind of amazed by the jets and helicopters themselves, but then by the people that were flying them. And I was just like, wow, that's just got to be so cool to be a pilot. But I knew most of the pilots back then, this was in the late eighties, you know, they were mostly a military background you know, Naval Academy graduates, Air Force Academy graduates. But uh, what I did was I got up the courage to ask the director of flight operations. His name was Bill. And I, you know, it took me a while to get up that courage. I was a shy kid, but, you know, I was still misguided, still going down that wrong path. But I, I saw a better life for myself if I could become a pilot. 
So I got up the courage to ask Bill. He was crossing the hangar uh, one day, and I said, hey, Bill, can I speak to you for a minute? He's like, sure. And I said, what would it take or what would I have to do to become a helicopter pilot? And these were Sikorsky helicopters. They're S-76s. And it's uh, the corporate version of a Black Hawk or a Pave Hawk, if you know what they what those helicopters are. And he said to me, he's like, uh, how old are you, Tom? I said, I'm 28. He's like, well, you're probably too old. Where did you go to college? <laughs> the yeah. School of Hard Knocks. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I said, I didn't. And he told me to forget about it. Mm. And I was just, I was too, it was, it was like twofold for me. Number one, I was kind of crushed. And then the other thing was I was pissed, you know, I was just upset, but it, it did something interesting for me because it put a chip on my shoulder that didn't deter me, you know, but a few weeks later, the, the company Aetna, it was Aetna Cigna flight operations. They had hired a young kid, 28 years old, like myself. Uh, as a co-pilot on the Sikorsky helicopter. And we became friends, and I asked him, I said, hey, how did you how did you get here? How did you become a, a Sikorsky pilot? And he told me the path that he, he went on, and I said, well, you know, the director of flight ops said that it was really impossible for me. He told me to forget about it. And uh, he's like, forget that. You know, forget that guy. And he's like, this is this is what you can do. There's a small airport nearby. They have a flight school there with little R-22 Robinson helicopters. You can go take a demo flight. And you can you can take lessons. You can get your private instrument, commercial, become a flight doctor. And, and he's like, that's the path that he took. This kid only had two years of college. And it didn't even really matter to have the college. That wasn't a prerequisite for anything. And so I did that. And it took me three and a half years. I worked three jobs. I worked in a deli. I worked bell hopping and I was working at the airport, um, but nothing was going to stop me. What that guy Bill did for me was, like I said, he put a chip on my shoulder. And so, I mean, I went on to become a captain at a major airline. I went on to fly Sikorsky helicopters. I worked for the Cleveland Browns flying the owner around, his personal pilot. Um, and I've been, you know, flying corporate jets and uh helicopters and what that did for me was i'm like if i can do this i could do anything and so i started to just step into my real purpose and if i could dream it i could do it and so here i am oh that's a beautiful story i love it i love it because of uh you know starting out with some difficult situations obviously and then someone challenging you saying you can't do it and you said well let me prove you wrong and look where it's led you. It's awesome. You know, if I look back on my life now, all the, the trouble that I was in, I mean, obviously, it was self-induced. I caused it. I created it. And I own it. I own it. And I was embarrassed about it for years and years. And I was talking to my cousin who lives out in uh, Los Angeles and he used to have his own TV show and all that, and he knew we were very, very close, and he knew the dreams that I, I have and had, and as far as becoming an author and becoming a speaker and getting up on stage and motivating people and telling them my story, but I had a hard time just sort of owning up to it, and he's like, you know, you just need to own it, and once I started telling my story, getting up on stage because people would ask me to, you know, come and, you know, give speaking events. Um, once I started the mountain climbing and, and what I found was people were intrigued. So if I wanted to become envisioned these things in my life, becoming an author, becoming a, just being up on stage and inspiring people and, and, and even doing TV and, and whatnot, if I wanted to do these other things, that I needed to own my story, own own my life. And so I started to own it. And when I started talking about the things that had happened in my life in my earlier years, you know, people really didn't care. 
you know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, you're such a bad person. And <laughs> right. it wasn't a bad person. You know, I mean, I really when I was a very little kid, I was sort of this Jerry Mathers, leave it to Beaver type of kid, you know, this cute little kid. And, um, you know, I didn't have the mentors in my life needed, uh, you know, to guide me on a path, you know, somebody to show me, hey, you can do this, you can become whatever, you know, and so, so I owned my story, I started sharing my story. And what I found was people embraced my story. It wasn't like they were judging me, they would tell me about what was going on in their life. So there was all this sharing going on. And then I would start getting emails and phone calls saying, God, you're such an inspiration. And I'm like, really? Me? I'm just, you <laughs> That's know. great. Yeah. And so, but so you step into this life that you imagine and, you know, people are inspired by that. You know, we're all afraid, right? We're all afraid. Sure. And, um, you know, we all have, they're all different fears, obviously, but we're all afraid of something, whether it's, you know, fear of love, fear of heights or, uh, you know, all these fear of public speaking. I think fear of loss of love is one of the biggest fears. And so, you know, I've sort of become this guru of embracing struggle, overcoming your fears and living your dream life. And so I envision myself doing all these amazing things. You know, I, when I was a little kid, very young, I used to watch uh, the adventures of Jacques Cousteau with my father. Oh, yeah. And as a little kid, I mean, that just an amazing man, just an amazing man. And I used to dream of being this adventure as a little kid. And in those dreams, I was flying and I was traveling the world and I was sort of this superhero. And so now what am I doing? You know, I'm I'm a speaker. I'm an author and I'm this adventurer, uh, sort of this modern day adventurer flying jets and helicopters. And, and I will go to space, too. I'll be going to space. Uh, you know, that's not far off for me. And, you know, climbing, you know, the seven summits and skiing to the North and South Pole. And then, you know, I'll be diving on the Titanic and, you know, just doing all these things. And so and, and why not? Why not? Why not, you know, pursue your visions? Yeah. Why not dream big and make it happen? I love it. It's a beautiful story, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's the way we all should live. And, and I believe that if, if you find your purpose you'll be passionate about your life. And if you're living your life that way, you're going to be happy and you'll be living on purpose. And imagine if everybody was living on purpose. Imagine if, you know, the, the entire planet, everybody was living on purpose. We'd be happy. We'd be productive. We wouldn't be medicated and, you know, all these things that are going on. It's just, you know, people these days, uh, I call them, uh, soft addictions, too much TV, too much food, um, smoking, drinking, all these sort of soft addictions uh, or distractions. People are on their iPhone, um, you know, on their emails and checking and Twitter and, and all these different things. And they're so distracted and they're not really living the life that they dream about, you know. But somebody just did a documentary about me. And in the doctor documentary, I talk about these distractions and I always say, you know, uh, stop watching the Kardashians. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's true, though. It's, it just amazes me. And we can be so much more happier and productive and giving back. And every, I, I believe everybody could be living this amazing life. And they're looking at me like, oh, you're so lucky and you're doing all these things and you have, you know, I've, I'm cut from the same cloth as everybody else. And I choose to, I've been down the wrong road. Now I, it, you know, it does take courage. I, I will tell you that it takes courage to find your own path and do what you believe, you know, is, is the good path and living with purpose and passion. And that takes courage. Um, 
but it's the only path we should be on. And I'm, you know, that's my message. I really want to inspire others to live their dream life. Oh. If I can, if I can do it, then everybody can do it. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. Gearing up for your next backpacking trip for the summer? Why don't you head over to 180tech.com and check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. That's beautiful. So let's talk a little bit more about this dream life and some of those adventures. And uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about your books and how people can get in touch with you for your motivational speaking and and that sort of thing. But let's talk a little bit about your adventures. So you are currently pursuing the Grand Slam adventure for climbing the Seven Summits and skiing to the North and the South Pole, like I said in the intro. And so far... It looks like you've done, what is it, six of the seven? Six of the seven, yeah. Six of the seven. And you're saving the the big one for last. Yes. You know, when I, as you know, I just got back from Antarctica um, this past December. And when I came down from the mountain, we're at, we're at base camp. Actually, we're at camp one. And so the day before we had summited. And I was like, you know, we were pretty beat up. And I was like, no way. There's no way. There's no way I'm going Everest. I'm done. Six is good. Six out of seven. You know, it's it's good. But, um, you know, when I got back home to New York and I'm, I'm warm, I'm hitting every buffet in town, you know, kind of deal. You know, I lost 12 pounds and you know, getting back into sort of my normal routine. Um, I was talking to my wife and, you know, we started thinking about it. Okay. Okay. We're good now. We made it. And so she's like, so what are you going to do? What's going on? Everest, North Pole, South Pole. So um, I'm, I'm back in the groove. I'm feeling good, feeling strong. And so it looks like we're going to go back to Antarctica, ski to the South Pole, then hit the North Pole after that, ski to the North Pole, and then finish everything by going to Everest. That's looking like how it's going to transpire here. So, um, But you know what? I, I still can't believe that I've done. When I started out on this venture and looking for some real adventure, in my life and, and pushing myself to do something that I was really out of my comfort zone. Um, I would have never imagined that I've climbed six of the highest peaks, six out of the seven. And it's just, um, it's incredible. You know, you never know what you can do until you push yourself, push yourself beyond what you think you can do. And, you know, it's all mental. 
you know, sure. the physical, the physical is really the easy stuff. I mean, you know, I'm a, um, personal trainer and I, I coach CEOs and what I've learned is in pushing these individuals, you start with the physical, then you work into the mental. And so when I train for these big mountains, I push myself physically, but then it gets into the mental. I do visualization. Then it's even spiritual. And for me, it's emotional. It's like the four, the four pillars there are the four legs. It's physical, emotional, spiritual, and, and, um, you know, mental. So it's, um, it's, it's really amazing. And I look back and I'm like, wow, six of the seven. Just for fun, let's get a couple of sound bites for each of the six. But when we get to the uh, Mount Vincent Massif, then I would like to spend more time on that since that was your most recent one and get more detailed about what it takes to climb that mountain. But I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start. I'm just looking at your website. I don't know which order you went, but Kilimanjaro is the first one on the on the page. So let's, let's yeah, start sir. with Kili. Keeley, um, a fantastic, fantastic mountain. Um, just, just the journey there, uh, flying out of New York. I flew from New York to, uh, Charles de Gaulle, then Charles de Gaulle to, um, I went to Kenya, had to stop in Kenya, spent the night there, uh, because I got bumped off my flight. And then the next day flew to Tanzania and, um, I was going to start my journey there. I was going to meet a group of people. and But I got quarantined in Tanzania, and uh, they wouldn't let me through unless I got got some additional shots. Oh. And so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, this little man in a white coat wasn't going to let me leave the airport <laughs> and, and, until I gave him cash. He wasn't going to take a credit card. That'll be cash, please. Right. And I have no idea what, what kind of shot he gave me. You know, I think. Like, <laughs> it's probably you egg know what whites. I mean? <laughs> I, you have no idea. Yeah, it's true. I'm like, oh, my God. But. I'm like, I got to give him the money. I got to take the shot if I want to go on this climb. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. The climb was, it's uh, 19,300 feet, Kilimanjaro. It's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. You know, it's not part of any range or anything. Right. So um, the highest freestanding. And it, it wasn't technical or anything like that. But, you know, the altitude, I had never been that high before. The highest that I had been is Mount Rainier in Seattle, Washington, which is 14410. But for me, it was an amazing climb. But the most amazing thing was that I got to climb with, um, we had porters on the trip that helped us with our gear and stuff, you know. And they were members of the Swahili tribe. And... You know, well, earlier we were talking about people living on purpose and people being happy. And these people earn three dollars a day and they're working hard. They're wearing shorts and sneakers and climbing up the mountain and singing every day. I was amazed mm. at how happy they were. And, you know, um, here we are, you know, sort of like these rich Americans that come over there and we're so miserable. You know, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Um, but that was my first climb, my first ex- real experience, you know, in sort of a third world country and seeing real poverty. And it was just uh, it was incredible. I met some fabulous people on the climb. And that's what I found out with all these climbs. It's the adventure is one thing, but it's really about the people, you right. know, the people that that you're with. It really is. I've met some incredible people. Fabulous. So Kilimanjaro was where you, you met people that were happy with very little. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's a life lesson right there. It's amazing, isn't it? it it's incredible. And it opened uh, so many doors to me. Um, I climbed with a billionaire, which I'm like, oh my <laughs> there's God. a contrast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I climbed with a billionaire and it's just like, you know, he was talking to me and he, told me where he was and he's like you ever hear of a uh, Campbell's <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you mean like Campbell's tomato soup he's like yeah it's like okay that's that's my wife I'm like okay, <laughs> okay. 
so I'm just like, well, you know, kind of blown away. But so, but that was, you know, the climb was really, um, I, I'm not going to say it was a non-event, but it wasn't technical. The difficulty in that climb, people underestimate the altitude. Right. So, um, and it caught me by surprise. Obviously, I had never been that high before uh, climbing. So, um, but I made it and it kind of kicked my butt a little bit. Um, so that, you know, I'm thinking, okay, the next one, you know, I have to train even harder. Sure. So, you know, I, I have a, like I said, a personal training background, a uh, competitive natural bodybuilder. Um, so, um, you know, I, I thought I was in good shape, but I wasn't in great shape to do these climbs. Well, altitude is humbling for everybody that it doesn't matter what kind of condition you're in. There's something about <clears throat> altitude. You just have to go to it enough. Uh, that's correct. That's, that's what I found out. And I don't know if being an airline pilot or what, but you know, I have not been, I've climbed with some guys who are in super shape, young guys, a lot younger than me that get sick around, you know, mountain sickness and, and whatnot around 10,000 feet. Sure. And they start throwing up and headaches and they can't go on. The next mountain on your website here is Mount Elbrus in Russia. And now we're at an elevation of 18,510. Tell us about that one. Just a couple of bullet points. Okay. Um, I was sick when I went there, had a cold, which affected me, and it was it was super cold, super cold, high winds. Um, it that mountain beat me up pretty good, you know, a lot of bloody toes, uh, that that type of thing. But again, um, it was about the people that I met. We found after we summited on our way down. From the summit at about 16,000 feet, we found a crashed Russian helicopter. Wow. And it looked, uh, yeah, it looked fairly new. It had only been there a couple of days. So I think it probably crashed maybe four or five days before we got there. I took great video of it. And after the video, we went back down to base camp. And when we got to base camp, there was the Russian army with their Russian helicopters, and they were investigating the crash. And a group of soldiers came over to greet us. Apparently, they knew we had summited and we came back down. They brought us some gifts, and they, they gave us homemade bread. They gave us pork fat, and they gave us big, uh, like, Pepsi liter bottles filled with, they called it Yosh which is Russian vodka mixed with beer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had to partake, you know, <laughs> eating pork fat bread and drinking all this Russian beer. And that's like my biggest memory of, of climbing Mount Elbrus, other than high winds, super cold. We were one of the first teams to climb the north side. If you if, if you climb Elbrus, typically most people, they climb the south side, which has a ski tram that goes up three quarters of the way. Right. And then they kind of hike to the summit. And we're like, we're not doing that. You know, we're going we're gonna to climb. We climbed on the north side. Excuse me, the north side. And it was for me, it was a tough climb. I mean, high winds. It was brutal. Uh, brutally uh, windy and cold and but you know i worked it out i'm just like this person of perseverance where i'm gonna push on and i'm not gonna quit and that was more mental over physical and so yeah so you know those are my biggest memories of that the, partying with the russian army and again they were fabulous people you know, they're telling me, oh, we're so sorry about Michael Jackson and Elvis. And <laughs> I'm like, what? Because <laughs> they're, they're playing, a, yeah, yeah. Well, they're <laughs> playing American music and they want to come to America. Right. And, you know, and they're, and they're just like us. Sure. They're just like us. You know, it's not like all this stuff you read in the or see on the news. You know, they're just like us. Right.
Founded and operated in Colorado, Catabatic Gear is driven by the premise that ultralight backpacking equipment should be made lighter through innovative design and advanced materials, not by simply stripping components. With intuitive features and the best, most advanced materials, Catabatic Gear's sleeping bags, backpacks, and accessories strike the perfect balance between ultralight weights and ultimate comfort that will change the way you think about backpacking. If you are considering lightening the load on your next backpacking trip, check out some of their award-winning gear at catabaticgear.com. That's K-A-T-A-B-A-T-I-C gear.com. Let's go to Australia, and this is the one that I always kind of snicker at a little bit because I sleep at a higher elevation than this mountain is tall, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not an expedition. So Mount Kosciuszko. But you're, you're right, though. I mean, it's a, it's a walk in the park. But, you know, we had, we had rain, we had fog, we had snow, and we had high winds all in one day. Wow. All in one day. And... But again, for me, I was like, oh, that's number three. But while I was in Australia, you know, and I knew, okay, it's uh, 7,000 feet, you know, okay, what can I do in Australia to sort of make this uh, adventurous trip? So after I did the climb, I flew to Port Lincoln, Australia, which is on the coast, and I went uh, great white shark diving. So I spent a couple of days doing that in a cage and um, doing some shark diving. So that was <laughs> that kind of that kind of that kind of rounded out the <laughs> the adventure. Oh, and that's the, awesome. the people that yeah, and and the people were fabulous in Australia. Um, you know, I was there last year, and the the people are just amazing. You know, no worries, mate. You know, and just uh, wonderful, wonderful. So it was a it was a quick one day climb, but getting there. You know, you have to go halfway around the world and and get it done. A lot of logistics there and all that. A lot of money spent. But, um, you know, these are all experiences that um, really enrich your life, right? I mean, oh, they enrich your life. Yeah. And uh, you, you survived know. the Great Whites as well as the 7,000-foot peak. So that's good. I, I tell you, yeah, that was that was amazing. That was amazing, and um, I can't wait to go back and do some more of that. Sure, so. absolutely. <laughs> Let's go to Aconcagua. So this is in Argentina, oh. and i got to give the trivia for this. You probably know this, but I know that some of our listeners don't. Mount Aconcagua, the summit is farther from the center of the earth than Everest is from the center of the earth. Yes, it's the highest peak in the Western Hemisphere. Well, the reason I say that is we have the equatorial bulge, so if you actually measure the distance to the center of the Earth, it's not the highest peak in the world, obviously, but it is farther right. from the Earth's core than Everest is just because it's so close to the equator. Yeah, yeah, um, an amazing mountain. And uh, that mountain really humbled me um, because that's when I realized you can die on the mountain. Mm. And... Um, we had experienced uh, death on that mountain, and uh, I wasn't really prepared for that. Right. When I was there, there were four teams on the mountain. There was our team. There was a team called uh, IMG, International Mountain Group. There was a team from Great Britain, and there was an Argentinian team. And we were all kind of uh, paralleling each other going up. And so at about 18,000 feet, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we got a, a dispatch from Seattle, Washington. You know, they're kind of watching the weather for us. And um, they were kind of like our backup to, you know, getting uh, sending emails and, and uh, dispatches. And so uh, we got a dispatch that a, a snowstorm was coming through. And it looked like it would last three or four days. So at about 18,000 feet, which was one camp below high camp. High camp was about 19,000 feet. And then from high camp, you pushed to the summit. So we were getting close to high camp, but we weren't going to try to uh, push for high camp 
in a snowstorm. Um, we're very conservative and everything I do, I'm conservative with. But so we uh, decided to hunker down. And as the storm was coming in, it started to snow lightly. The winds were picking up. I noticed uh, one of the teams, and it happened to be the team from Great Britain, they're marching off. And I got pictures of them marching off, pushing for high camp. And I'm like, God, what are they doing? And they pushed for high camp. The storm came in and, you know, 50 mile an hour winds. And, you know, we hunkered down. It lasted three days. And, you know, and I was scared. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was scared. And I just stayed in my tent with my tent mate. And I journaled. I just journaled the whole time, you know, uh, saying my mantras. I'm strong, calm, and confident. Strong, calm, and confident. I believe in mantras. You know, I, I really do. And so, um, you know, after three days, uh, it, the storm blew through and, you know, high winds continued. But uh, we packed it up and we pushed for high camp. And when we got up to high camp, um, moving around above 19,000 feet for a couple of days, um, I tell you, it's like uh, being on the moon. You know, you really, you, you know, every step that you take. It you know takes your breath away, right? So it really does. And so um, that night at high camp, uh, we had a team meeting, and during the meeting, uh, my buddy uh, Jeff, Jeff actually amazing climber, he wrote the foreword in my second book, Ageless You Adventure. Um, he yeah. um, gave us some some news that. They got a dispatch from Seattle, and they had found out that three members of the, that British climbing team had perished in the snowstorm and that we may pass the bodies on the way up. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I was just like, what am I doing here? You know, this it kind of freaked me out a little bit. It, it kind of overtook me a little bit emotionally, and, you know— for me, initially, these climbs were about pushing myself physically. You know, how far, you know, because I'm in good shape. I like, you know, the physical training. But now it's taken on a whole new whole new element. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not about um, death. And, you know, I want to live a healthy, vibrant life. <laughs> and so, but, you know, uh, I didn't get any sleep that night. But I kept thinking about it. And, um you know, we got up at one in the morning and I tell you, it was brutally cold because, you know, we, we made our, we call them hots, you know, hot drinks. Sure. And I'm, I'm putting on my gear. I set my hot drink down for a couple of minutes and I pick it back and it's frozen. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my hot chocolate, my hot chocolate's frozen. <laughs> okay. So this is going to be interesting. Um, and it was a full day, full full day of climbing, and um, you know we did we passed the bodies on the way up, and there were more you know it's kind of like um, windblown and and uh, mostly covered by snow, you know what I mean, sort of wind drifts covering the bodies, and we, right. we passed the bodies on the way up, and um, I really didn't uh, look at them too much, you know, uh, for me, getting up to almost twenty three thousand feet. Um, I just had to keep my head down and we're doing pressure breathing and rest stepping, pressure breathing and rest stepping. And for every step, as we got closer to the summit, I'd say within a hundred yards for every step that I took, I probably had to take five to seven pressure breaths. So you take a step and pressure breathing, you know, forcing that air out. So, um, the atmosphere pushes air into your lungs, right? You know, I made it. I made it, and it was an amazing climb. Um, very emotional, though, for me. Very sure. emotional. Uh, you know, I'll never forget that uh, you can die on these uh, these big mountains. I mean, you you know, same thing happens in Colorado too. You know, it really doesn't matter. But um, <clears throat> for me, though, um, like I said, I'm a very conservative person. In everything that I'm doing, whether I'm flying the jet or the helicopter or um, going on these big adventures, it's all about safety first. You know, 
uh, doing all the training, all the prep work, being as meticulous as I can about my gear and whatnot and, and, and what we're doing and safety first. You know, I want to do these adventures, but I also want to talk about them. Right. You, you know, want to come back I, to, to adventure another day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have a son at home and I have a wife. And so, um, you know, it was interesting when I when I went to Kilimanjaro, uh, I asked my son, you know, to come along. And he's like, what hotel are we going to stay at, Dad? <laughs> so <laughs> we're not. <laughs> he's like, no, that's OK. You, you go ahead. Um, so Aconcagua, uh, very emotional for me. Um, I don't have a death wish. And, you know, I witnessed uh, people dying on the mountain. So, um. yeah, you know, I, I like to point out to our listeners who may or may not be mountaineers, right, that the the high expedition climbs, they could be crazy hazardous and you need to know what you're getting into. But I would like to point out the mountaineering in general is probably a safer sport than driving to work, but it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to use really good judgment and know when to turn around, right? Well, you know, there's a saying. There's a saying, and I think uh, a famous climber, Ed Beasters, coined the phrase, the summit is optional. Right. Getting down is mandatory, right? Correct. You may have heard that. Yep, you bet. And that's when people, you know, they push and they push and they push and they use everything they have to reach to the summit. But then you have to get back out. And that's when most of the accidents occur is when they're totally depleted. They're not thinking straight because of the, you know, the, the high altitude. And, you know, when it's time to get down, sometimes it's it's too late. It's too sure. late. A lot of those accidents happen on Everest that way, too. And uh, so, you know, the mountain's always going to be there. It's not going anywhere. So, you know, you can... Um, you know, you can try it again another day, and that's the that's the best way to do it. You know, it'll Absolutely. always be there. All right, we're going to stop here for today. Tom's interview went a little bit long, so we're going to have the part two of the interview on Thursday. So come back then and hear the rest. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to visit members.adventuresportspodcast.com and check out our member site. Now get out and have some fun. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.